Welcome to Unlikable Female Characters, the podcast about women who don't give a damn if you like them. I'm Lane Fargo, and today I am talking to Margarita Montemore. She is the author of the national bestseller and Good Morning America book club pick, Una Out of Order, which is currently being adapted for television by Amazon Studios. Very exciting. And her new book, Acts of Violet, is out July 5th. Welcome, Margarita. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be on this podcast in particular. I love your mission statement. I love what you do. So it is my pleasure. We wanted to have you on for a really long time. (laughs) You're another person that I know from Pitch Wars way back in the day, but we've never actually met in person, right? And this is the first time we're seeing each other face to face. The internet is strange. (laughs) I know. I know. It's slight tangent. But do you remember when you submitted to me in Pitch Wars when I was a mentor and what I said to you, because I tell everybody who will listen now whenever I mention you about how I read your stuff and I wrote back to you saying, I can't help you because you should be out querying and you should be published already and you're too good for mentorship. Like you're just super talented. You need to be out and about and getting your book deals. So I'm glad to see you now getting your book deals. Thank you. I mean, that book definitely had some issues, but I was on the journey and I really held on to those words of praise from you for a long time. That was something that I would think about a lot where I was like, she believes in me. I'm going to make it. (laughs) You got published before I did too. So I was like, I knew she was going to get there. I knew it. So yeah. We're both here now. (laughs) Isn't it great? Isn't it grand? (laughs) It is. So do you want to tell everybody a little bit about Acts of Violet? Sure. So this book is about a world famous magician named Violet Volk who disappears in the middle of a performance and 10 years later she has still never been seen meanwhile her sister Sasha who's living a quiet suburban life with her husband and child she has been left to pick up the pieces carry on with life and nearly 10 years later a podcast that really starts to dig into the life the mystique and of course the disappearance and all of its possible theories surrounding it starts up and really takes off and really brings the myth of Violet Volk to life and starts to create some turbulence in Sasha's life, along with some rather unusual things that begin to happen to her, including but not limited to a series of sleepwalking episodes that start to trouble her. Yeah, those were really scary. (laughs) So what I love so much about your books is only you could write them. They're so unique and they're just so you. They don't really quite fit into any existing genre. I love that. (laughs) And that's also why it took me so long to get published. But that's honestly one of the best compliments that I can get because I always just try to write something that I feel like, okay, if I'm interested in this thing, whether it's time travel, whether it's, you know, unsolved disappearances, what is my unique stamp or spin? I'm not going to write a single word unless I feel like I can put my fingerprint on it and do something very different with it. So I appreciate having that recognized for better or for worse. Being different is sort of my mission statement. Well, let's talk a little bit about your publishing journey. You self-published your first book, correct? I did. I had an agent for it. And just to give you an idea of how I don't fit into genres, and this is not an agent I'm working with anymore. I have a fabulous agent I've been with for years now. My prior agent submitted the book I ended up self-publishing, Asleep From Day, to editors who represented literary fiction, commercial fiction, mystery, suspense, thrillers, women's fiction, 
am I missing any romance? Like that's how (laughs) all across the board, nobody could quite pinpoint what it was. And that's why it did not do well in submission. Una Out of Order took a while also because it did not neatly fit. It's book club fiction, upmarket fiction. I was rejected by over two, maybe 300 agents. I revised it like a dozen times during the course of submitting it. But then once I got that magic final version of the book, I got four offers of representation. And once I went with my agent, it went to auction. So things happened very, very fast after taking years to happen. I'm so inspired by the fact that you really stuck to your guns and what you wanted to write. I see writers trying to write to the market or kind of contort themselves into these boxes, what's popular. And you have to find that overlap between what you're interested in and what readers want to read. And it seems like you've really hit on that. It just takes a little while sometimes. (laughs) I think so much of it is timing and luck. And I have seen writers who pivoted toward the market and have done well for themselves. I've seen writers who tried to pivot and still just could not quite break through. And then I've seen writers who were like, you know what, screw this. This is the book I'm writing for myself. After 10 books, this is the one for myself. And it ends up being the best one and getting the most success. And that's the story that I love to see the most. So I feel like you just have to be stubborn as hell because you have to love what you're writing and you have to have the passion for it because it's going to come across. And yes, you can't predict when is it going to find its audience. I never discount the element of luck and timing, but having the grit and just really being unbelievably stubborn. For once, that character trait served me well. (laughs) And having that confidence, too, to know what your vision is and to believe in that. I can feel that in your books, that confidence, and this is the story that I want to tell. There's always a lot of self-doubt in the writing process, but the finished product, that comes across. I'll tell you, though, I'm so glad it comes across, but behind the scenes, I was like on the cliff's edge, holding on by my fingertips, about to completely give up on Una. I put it away at one point for six months thinking like this writing thing, I'm not going to do it. That's when I self-published. And then I was like, oh my God, self-publishing is even harder than traditional (laughs) publishing. Instead of doing one job, I'm doing 20 now. And to do it well costs money and takes an immeasurable amount of time, which means I don't have time to write, which is the thing I love doing most. So I was like, okay, fine, fine. I guess this is what I am fated to do and I have to come back to it. The confidence was hard won and something that I still fight with and fight for pretty much on a daily basis. Not as much as I used to before the the book deal and all of that, but definitely you still, and I think you should always have a little bit of discomfort because that's where your grit comes in and that's where you're going to be able to challenge yourself more as a writer instead of resting on your laurels. After Una, I started six, seven different books and kept just thinking to myself, if I don't feel as good about this, then it's not worth my time. I have to feel like this is a worthy follow-up. Mm-hmm. That makes me feel better, honestly, because I've tried to write several different books over the past few years and given up on them. And yeah, sometimes you just have to wait for the right one and hang in there. (laughs) Absolutely. After Violet, now that I know, okay, it wasn't a fluke. I've written more than one 
book that is being published traditionally. Now I think of it more as this is the process. Sometimes you get that one idea that you see through all the way. And then sometimes you just get little seedlings that sprout a leaf or a twig or something. I save them. And, you know, Violet actually came from bits and pieces of me thinking, what are the things that I am just obsessed with and interested in that I feel like I want to immerse myself in? And finally, I came upon that combination of things that gelled. So just trust that that's going to happen. So what are all these things? Because there's a lot going on in this book. It's so many (laughs) different things together. It's so cool. I wrote a lot of this book during lockdown. So, you know, in the middle of a global pandemic, I'm looking for all kinds of escapism through books, through podcasts, TV shows, movies. And of course, I'm a white woman of a certain age. So true crime is something I'm drawn to. So I was listening to a lot of true crime, but I particularly have this fascination with unsolved disappearances. I mean, unsolved mysteries in general of all kinds, crime, paranormal, you name it. But there's something about it that is haunting and frustrating. And my dream case is an unsolved disappearance that then becomes solved during the course of time, which actually did happen with a case or two that I became personally really, really interested in. And I also love tales about the dark side of show business. I'm so fascinated about that life of not the rich and famous from the glamorous side of it, but from the behind the scenes, like what does it really take? What is the real cost of it? And then, you know, things like sisterhood and all the more wacky paranormal stuff that I have to pepper in, but also rein in since I know that people have different tolerances Anything from parallel worlds to, I don't want to spoil anything in the book, but (laughs) yeah, let's say magic in all of its forms. I mean, if they've read Una out of order and then they're picking this one up, you know, there's some weird shit going on You're waiting for it. You're like, this isn't just she disappeared and went into hiding and lives on a beach or something now. There's something going on. (laughs) I personally like stories where it's our world, but like one degree something's a little bit off in one way or another. Uh, So that's definitely something I'm drawn to when I write. Let's talk about the characters, since this is unlikable female characters, and we've got some good ones here. Let's talk about Violet. She is definitely a classic unlikable female character in the way that we love to talk about here. She's super ambitious. She's ruthless. She's selfish. She's all these things. But she's also just like so fucking cool. I want to hang out with her. I want to go to one of her shows. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And I wanted to make her as difficult and irresistible as possible, where she's definitely going to get under people's skin because she is ruthless in some regards in terms of her ambition, which stems just from her innate passion for what she does. But she does have this personality of whatever I put my mind to, I have to be the absolute best at. And it just so happens she finds her calling very early in life with stage magic and dedicates herself to it and then you know becomes this sort of self-help guru where she translates the magic into a bigger empire in the way she affects and influences people but at the same time she can be very 
bitchy and she is boldly who she is as a person in terms of being bisexual and polyamorous. At the same time, she's in an industry, professional stage magic is 92% male. The last time I checked the official statistics. However, she is not rallying for the LGBT community. She is not going on any feminist marches or tirades. She is not an activist for these areas that she is actually a strong influence in, which also is an area where she could garner some criticism. So yeah, she is who she is. And her mission in life, her dream in life is to dazzle everybody that she comes across. But sometimes she drives them crazy in the process too. (laughs) I love that she was bisexual. We love a bad bisexual around here. (laughs) Honestly, that's the kind of thing that was revealed to me. I almost made her not even just polyamorous, but like, what's the word? I almost had her marry multiple people at the same time too. But (laughs) yes, I almost made her a bigamist too. (laughs) But I had to kind of rein it in of like, you know what, there's plenty to keep people talking about her. But yeah, that's one of those things in the same way that she revealed her music taste to me that her favorite bands were bc boys and Susie and the banshees and that she's bisexual she came to me fully formed in those ways so it was not at all like oh this will make it you know timely or in fact considering the height of her fame is in the 90s it's actually not easy for her to be so unapologetically herself so yeah it's one of those innate qualities that she just appeared to me with I love the part where you included the table of contents for her self-help book. I was like, I would 100% add this to my cart. Like if I was reading this (laughs) on Amazon, I would be like, yes, I want to learn how to use magic in my life. I'm totally into it. I would go to the seminar, the whole thing. So why did you have her become this self-help guru? Especially now there's all this. One of our previous guests called it the wellness to crazy pipeline on Instagram, where there's all these (laughs) self-help people becoming almost like these cult leaders. That's why. And that's another trajectory I considered for her because I felt a couple of things, you know, for somebody who's a stage magician, there's only so much you can reach in terms of your level of fame. So I wanted her to have a legacy that extended beyond Vegas shows and television appearances and guest appearances and cameos in movies or TV shows. And I thought this is something that could be global and enduring. I remember when I was a kid, my father got me a copy of How to Win Friends and Influence People. What were you trying to tell me, Dad? Um, (laughs) 11, do I need to become so socially savvy right away. Like, I'm not even a teenager. Um, Starting you early. Yeah, right. And I still see that book on bestseller list today. I just got literally today an email from this marketing person that I follow that was like, here's the books you should read this summer. And that was one of them. And I was like, really? There you go. There you go. The ghost of my dad is still influencing reading opinions all these years later. So I thought that's the way that she can kind of expand on her legacy and have a much bigger impact on people over the course of time. And it seemed like a natural extension. And I also wanted her to be groundbreaking in doing something like that. Yeah, like you said, it's such a thing now that so many celebrities then go on to have like the lifestyle brand, the wellness brand. And so for somebody to do it in the early 2000s is 
definitely a little bit more revolutionary than somebody doing it today. She could totally be a cult leader. She could do it. I think so. <laughs> I believe I think in her. So. <laughs> Don't give me sequel ideas. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm here for it. I would love a sequel. I loved as well, you mentioned it a little bit earlier about this feminist critique of the magician industry, which is extremely male dominated. And then like Violet, she becomes super successful. She does not mentor other women. She does not let the ladder back down for them. And while I think, you know, ideally (laughs) women should do that for other women, it's interesting how much hate women get for that when it's still the men Mm -hmm. who are the real problem. Like they're the ones who are gatekeeping. Right. It's funny how the allies sometimes get criticized more than the oppressors. Yes. But at the same time, it was very important for me to write the podcast episode that's the roundtable of the cultural critic, the super fan, and the people to give this balanced portrait of not only kind of who she was and how her career made this social impact and personal impact, but also where she arguably fell short. And I think there are some people, they want the work to speak for itself. There are some people that want to use their platform in larger ways. And It's a personal preference. So I think it's just a matter of perspective. I mean, you could also argue that the books that she wrote and the tours that she went on to promote this personal revolution for people to, like it says in the epigraph, not just be yourself, be your best self, be the self that's beyond who, you know, to really challenge yourself to exceed your own expectations and bring out this level of excellence in yourself. And so I think that that was the way that she wanted to influence people. And again, you can look at it through various perspectives. Well, that's a good segue to talk about Sasha, who is the main POV character in this, Violet's sister, who's very different from Violet. Her character is in some ways the polar opposite of Violet in that she prefers her quiet suburban life. She works as a hairstylist in suburban New Jersey. She took over her mother's salon. She's all about family, all about her husband and her daughter and just being a part of her quiet community. And she's not comfortable with being fame adjacent. She's very reluctant to either speak about her sister in any public way or even you know use her sister's name in any way, like naming the salon, the Volk salon, instead of, you know, her married name is Dwyer, or putting pictures up of Violet on the walls. And she had a very complicated relationship with Violet, but she feels like she's the steady one. She's the one that cares about everybody. She makes the sacrifices. She holds down the fort, whereas her sister had the luxury of going off and making her wildest dreams come true while Sasha stayed behind to be the responsible one. But she's grown into that and loves her life and is very happy to be off the radar. So when she's pulled back on the radar with all things Violet consuming the public imagination again, that is not so great for her. Yeah, she wants this quiet life. At the same time, it's like she's damned if she does, damned if she doesn't. If she is very publicly out there talking about her sister. She's criticized for that. If she doesn't talk about her sister, then like, oh, she must not care about her and she's being a heartless bitch or whatever. She's very judged for whatever she says 
or doesn't say and very aware of that at this point when it's been 10 years she's just kind of like whatever I do, I'm fucked. (laughs) Yes. It's such a cliche at this point where the loved one of the missing person needs to grieve a certain way. And if they don't grieve correctly, if they're not emotionally raw enough and involved enough in the search, then they're criticized or suspected. And because Sasha is private and is not going to be publicly putting on big emotional displays, And because she legitimately had a very tumultuous relationship with her sister, it certainly causes friction with the way that the public perceives her. But funny enough, I actually did see a reader review that talked about how unlikable Sasha was of (laughs) all the characters because she is more the martyr and does not speak up for herself enough. You're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. Like, because she does make all of these sacrifices, but then kind of sometimes has a little bit of an attitude about it or acts a little put out about it when, you know, she has to set her personal needs aside to take care of others. So what are you going to do? Yeah. As we're always saying on the show, all a woman has to do to be unlikable is just exist, you know, (laughs) say one word, have an opinion. Or not have an opinion, talk or not talk. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Blink or not blink. (laughs) Pretty much. Yeah, that's it. I mean, I liked how prickly Sasha was, which you would be after growing up with Violet and dealing with all this stuff for the last 10 years. And she just like does not want to deal with it anymore. And that's very relatable. I would not want to deal with all this shit either. Like people wanting to interview you and asking you questions about your sister. She's existing in this strange space where it's like maybe her sister is dead. Maybe she's alive. Maybe Mm. something really bad happened to her or maybe she's punking them all. Right ambiguous loss like that's crazy manking and even though Sasha is technically the nice one I personally find nice characters boring so you know for me even the nice one is going to have some spikes and some edges to her and I also think that that's realistic nobody is one thing nobody is pure evil nobody is pure sweetness so even though she does behave in this selfless way in many regards, I think it's perfectly acceptable for her to be cranky about it once in a while and for her to be angry about things that she should legitimately be fed up with. I don't trust people who seem too nice. I'm like, "Mm." (laughs) where are the bodies? I don't know. I don't trust you. (laughs) I'm that way with books too. Whenever there's a book that absolutely everybody loves universally, I'm very suspicious about it. And even when I finally get around to reading it, I kind of, I side eye read it like, I'm going to be the one, like, I'm such a jerk because I'll be like, I bet I'm going to be the one person who doesn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> and now I you have to name names. Now you have to name books. <laughs> I will name one example okay. and only because the author is dead. And funny enough, unlikable female character, the girl with the dragon tattoo. I am not a fan of that character. I don't think, even though I love the goth sensibility, I love the revenge, I appreciate the intensity of it so much. But that book did not do it for me. I feel like, especially as a semi-reformed goth, we need better spokespeople than Lisbeth Salander, in my humble opinion. 
Oh, you're in a safe space for that. We've trashed that book many times oh, on the show. Oh, God. I've actually never read it. I saw the movie, the Rooney Mara one, because Trent Reznor did the score. So, like, <laughs> what was I going to do? Yeah. Oh, of course. <laughs> yeah. Obsessed. Nine Inch Nails fan paid $40 for his guitar pick after a concert when I was 16 in what the 90s. Deal. Oh, my God. <laughs> I still have it. It probably wasn't his guitar pick, but I don't care. I still have it in, like, a little plastic enclosed. I'll sleep with that under my pillow. <laughs> <laughs> So Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, uh, yeah, I'm so glad that I'm not alone in that opinion. I just don't think she's a fleshed out, fully realized character. Yeah, she's like a man's idea of what a badass, unlikable female character is. It doesn't seem authentic. No, no, I just don't buy it. So, yeah, okay. sorry to speak ill of the dead. I know, like, I know. Didn't do a good job. And <laughs> hey, you know what? We're obviously in the minority but yeah, and I will not speak ill of any living author because I wish you all great success. But once you're dead, <laughs> once you're dead, I'll, the gloves come off. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, we're about to wrap up, but let's talk about. So you are getting like a super tricked out full cast audiobook for this, right? I saw you post on Instagram about it. Oh my goodness, it's already it's finished, and the advanced listener copies are out there. I haven't listened to the whole thing yet. I've heard more than half of it. And I am completely blown away. I cannot believe just what an incredible, it's so above and beyond even my wildest imagination. I remember when it dawned on me much later than it should have during the course of writing this book, like, hey, podcast, this might make a cool audiobook. I remember thinking like, Oh, you know what would be so amazing if during the audiobook, maybe when the podcast episodes, there could be like little music tinkling, like a couple of notes just to show like, this is the podcast now. So when they ask for my ideas, which also, I mean, Katie Robitsky, God, she's an amazing producer. She's produced all these audiobooks. I freaking love some of my favorites. The Echo Wife, amazing. Anyway, so she asked me for any thoughts I had. Not only did they do music for the podcast, they wrote a theme song. There is oh a God. theme song that starts and ends every episode of the podcast. There are all of these like interludes, like whenever it's an email, you hear the clickety clack of typing. When it's a news story, you hear newspaper pages. It's amazing. And the reviews of it, even people who aren't crazy about the book, which is fair, you don't all have to love me. I understand that. They still rave about what a great production it is. So Macmillan Audio, you guys made me look so good and I cannot thank them enough. Yes, I'm blown away. That sounds so cool. I have it pre-ordered on Audible. I'm trying to get more into audiobooks, which because I write them now, I should, but I really don't listen to a lot of them. It's a recent <laughs> fixation for me. And what was the game changer for me was changing the speed to 1.2, sometimes even 1.5, because I'm used to Aaron Sorkin, Gilmore Girls, super fast um... dialogue. I cannot listen to them at regular speed. I want to just claw myself to pieces. But as you can tell, because I speak a mile a minute, listening to them on faster speeds is absolutely the game changer. So try that. 
I might try 1.2. My partner does 1.5 or sometimes even 2. And Ooh. when I get in the car with him, and it's usually podcasts, not audiobooks, but mm-hmm. it'll come on and it just spikes my anxiety. I like can't, mm. but at 1.2, that might be okay because it's just a little bit. Mm. Like he has, has to solemnly swear to me that he will never turn this podcast above one. I'm like, you Aww. have to listen to it. I'm like, <laughs> you don't have to listen to the podcast, but if you do, you must listen to it at regular speed. If he listens <laughs> to me speak at one, one, even 1. 1.5 speed, I'm going to sound like an auctioneer. Well, it has been such a delight to talk to you. Do you want to tell everyone what you're working on next and where we can find you on the internet? Sure. So the easy part first, I'm Damiella. As soon as a social platform appears that I am in any way, shape or form interested in, I secure that handle. But Twitter and Instagram are really where I'm the most actively social because social media can be a little bit tiresome sometimes so you know moderation <laughs> <it> mildly. <laughs> I don't want to be unlikable or anything but I've learned the lesson of I do the social media that I genuinely enjoy participating in so I genuinely enjoy Instagram and Twitter in smaller doses so that's where I am active the most right now it is the promotional period for Violet so despite that I'm really really trying to formulate and I'm taking notes and tinkering and I am actually, I think, kind of putting together this skeleton of a new novel that I've had the title for and the basic concept of for at least 15 years. Oh, wow. And something an author friend and I talk about, and it's something I've seen other authors go into, is when you have an idea, if you hold on for too long, it will leave you and get transposed into another writer's brain. And so I feel like I've been holding on to this idea for so long now that if I don't act on it now, it may kind of flit away. Taylor Jenkins Reid may get it first because I actually wanted to write the fake biography slash oral history of a musician. And then I saw the deal announcement for Daisy Jones and the Six. So I need to hustle and write this book before I see her. And I say that as a huge admirer of her work. I feel very much like we're on a similar creative wavelength. The fact that her books appeal to me so much, but I'm hoping that once the active part of the summer with all of the violet excitement quiets down a bit, I'll really be able to sink my teeth into it and flesh it out and start writing something that will hopefully resemble a book at some point in the near future. Fantastic. Yeah, don't let Taylor get it. Thank you so much. It's so great to talk to you. And everybody, you can go get Acts of Violet. It is out now at the time this episode airs. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. That's it for this episode of Unlikable Female Characters. Don't forget to subscribe, and you can also follow us on Twitter at UnlikableFCPod for updates, book recommendations, and angry feminist rants. Our website is unlikablefemalecharacters.com, and we're also on Instagram at unlikablefemalecharacters. Thanks for listening.